Charlotte. It's Shelby. It's Riley. And And it's it's time time to smut up and listen. Just a reminder for today's episode and all future episodes, our opinions are subjective. We don't advocate for kink shaming or author shaming. This is all in good smutty fun. Enjoy. Today's episode trigger warnings are graphic sexual content, blood play, breath play, non-con, dub con, occultism, stalking, homicide, domestic and drug abuse, and degradation. (laughs) Oh, it's a dark one. Kinda. (laughs) And this week's book is Ghost by Kat Blackthorn, and it's the first book in the Halloween Boys series, so we had to do it for October. Yes, because Halloween. And how many stars did you give it on Goodreads, Shelby? I gave it four because I liked, even though I was complaining about all the information and how long it felt, like it was all like really good and interesting information, and I feel like I haven't read anything like it before. Mm -mm, It was very unique. I also gave it four stars. Yeah. I think I would have liked it a lot more if I didn't have to take notes on it. Agree. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that does come into play. Uh-huh. Where I'm like, I just want to sit back and enjoy this. Right. I get that. I get that. My quote for you, Riley, is she called herself a ghost, but I was the one going to haunt her. Mm-hmm. Little Casper. And mine is the things I do to you, Blythe Pearl, I growled, biting her lip. I tasted her honeyed longing. Do them, demon daddy. Oh my Ooh, God. When I demon read daddy. demon daddy, I literally laughed out loud. I was like, what the fuck is this? Demon Demon daddy. Demon daddy. Demon daddy. There's a lot of cringe in this. Yeah. I'm going to call Andrew that. Demon daddy. Yeah. See how he likes it. I'll let you guys know. Keep us posted. We start with our main character, Blythe, her POV. She knows if she keeps moving, she wouldn't break. If she keeps moving, she wouldn't cry. And most importantly, if she keeps moving, he won't find her. She is in this old diner and she hears a cell phone ring and she hurriedly pays her check and leaves to a blandly colored office building in the middle of town. The receptionist tells her that Dr. Omar isn't in today and the other doctors are booked so she has to wait until her appointment next week and she's about to beg for anyone to listen to her when a deep male voice says he can take her because his 1 p.m. didn't show up. So he's a therapist, Dr. Cove. Dr. Cove. She goes into his office and is admiring his strong hands as he pours her a glass of water. And then he insults her Fleetwood Mac t-shirt and tells her that he'll let her know why he doesn't like Stevie Nicks if she tells him why she's in such a panic to be seen today. Disgraceful. Who doesn't like Fleetwood Mac? Rude. Yeah, honestly. She gives him a nutshell version of her messed up life so far. Her mom married an abusive drug addict and unfortunately killed herself but she thinks that her stepdad either killed her mom or drove her mom to do it. She moved away at 19 and called an anonymous tip to the police about his drug stash and they caught him. But when she found a place to live in Tennessee, the letters started arriving. And at first, the letters came from Alabama State Prison addressed to her, but a blank note inside. So it was just her address. There's nothing inside the letter. Do you think that would like creep you guys out more? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Especially how did you find her? Mm -hmm, Because she's been on the run. And it doesn't say who it's from, right? Like which inmate. It just says Alabama State Mm -hmm. Prison. She keeps moving around to different states and each state she's in for a little bit, she'll be okay. And then all of a sudden she'll get another letter. So she moves again. Today at the diner, the same ringtone that he had on his phone played. And so she had a panic attack and left 
and then went straight to the doctor's office. She stares at him and thinks that he's way too sexy to be a therapist, and then he catches her off guard and asks what she does for fun, and she replies, go to bed before 8 o'clock. That's me. Same girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He stares at her and suggests she go to Hollows Fest. It's a month-long dance party every night in October in Ash Grove, which is the town that they're in. She's confused as to why he would suggest this, and he says that she would probably find it therapeutic to wear a mask and dance for a month straight. And she says maybe she will, and then she leaves. Which, like, she didn't really get any help being at the therapist's office, but no, no. he's like, he's like, you should go to this dance party. Do you want to maybe I'll feel dance better. a little bit? <laughs> I am prescribing dance. <laughs> dance off. Go shake your touch. <laughs> we switched to Ames POV. It's been 18 months since his last kill and nothing excites him anymore. But something finally piqued his interest. 5'3 with curves like Aphrodite and this ripe smell of fear made his cock hard. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. He left the building as soon as she did, pulling on a black beanie and keeping his gaze downward. He follows her down the street and notices she stops in front of a store to stare at a costume, and he hopes that she takes his advice and goes to Hollow's Fest. He follows her two car lengths away, and then he gets a call from Onyx. We switch back to Blythe's POV. She's back home in her basement apartment that she's renting out. Everything down there is from the 70s and she thinks it's oddly comforting, especially since she can hear the old couple upstairs like moving around. She closes her eyes as she lays down and she can only see Dr. Cove and she's like, I'm gonna Google Hollows Fest. Like, let's see what this is all about. I want to go to Hollows Fest, honestly. Me too. Sounds fun. That does sound fun. So she Googles it and there's articles and headlines galore. A couple read, why Hollows Fest should be banned, man responsible for several murders found dead outside Hollows Fest, and the last one, Hollows Fest, the month-long Halloween dance party. Do you dare? Oh. Yeah. Looks like there's some drama. She clicks on the last link, and part of the article says, Hollows Fest is a month-long Halloween-themed masquerade dance party. The bands are always a secret, and the only costume beyond recognition are allowed entry. Insiders claim it's harmless fun, while some local Ashgrove residents have expressed concern for 50 years that the event is a stain on the picturesque mountain town. Controversial. Yeah. I know. The Hollows Fest main portion of the party is held at the brew pump which is the town's most haunted building and some even say that the ghosts and evil spirits come out to play for the whole month she decides that she's gonna go since she's gonna be hidden in a mask and a costume and no one can follow her are you sure we switch to ames pov after seeing where she lives he heads to the tech store excited for his hunt he calls the guys and explains in little detail why they need to meet. He thinks to himself as he's purchasing tech items how easy it is to wear the costume of a nerdy psychologist and how no one would ever suspect anything from a dorky looking guy. He hates being that guy and says that he daydreams in crimson and screams in the smell of burnt and poisoned skin. And I was like, ew. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> Crazy. We learn that he's lived there his whole life just like his father and grandfather and he can't leave even if he wants to. He goes to the shop where Blythe was looking earlier. He recruits the girl working there to help him pick something out for the new in town girl, but it has to remain a secret. We switch back to Blythe's POV. As she leaves her apartment the next day, she thinks to herself, if this is the last place she lives before she dies, she'll be okay with it because she likes that everything is like spooky there. She also hopes that she can dance with someone and maybe even share a kiss. And she says that she doesn't care if it's a man or woman just for one night. She just wants a kiss. I bet she's going to get more 
than that. She heads to the costume store so she can splurge a little on the one that she saw the other day. Yesenia, the girl working the shop, helps her grab multiple costumes and leads her to a changing room. And Blythe's like, ah, girl, I can't afford all that. But Yesenia says, don't worry, it's actually been paid for. (gasps) Who could it be? She says that it gives her an excuse about how the town gives out free money to newcomers for out-of-towners in hopes that they send more people their way. So they're like, you get X amount of money on all these costumes for this one festival, give it to someone, and then hopefully they come back next year. Okay. Yesenia puts her in this like weird sexy fox costume and she's like, I'm not a fox at all, but sure, I'll be a fox. She learns that Yesenia also packed her a black cat, a witch, some other fancy stuff, and then on actual Halloween night, everyone dresses in 1800s garb so they don't confuse the spirits. And then she heads to work with a really uneasy feeling of being watched. Wait, what? You'll see. She works at the local Indian food place and she is halfway through her shift when Dr. Cove walks in. He orders food and a drink to go but tells her that she can call him Ames. And her boss tells Ames that he never pays for his food and then he lets her leave 15 minutes early. So Ames is like, I'll walk you out. He tells her that her rear tires are low on air and insists that he helps her fill them up and get gas. So he takes her to this really creepy old decrepit gas station and she's like, are you going to kill me here? And he waits a minute and then he's like, no. (laughs) I would never. No. As he fills her tires with air, gets her gas and then opens her hood to do something weird to her fucking car. He's telling her about his family in Ash Grove and how they've lived there since the town was founded. She asks hopefully if he'll be there and he says no because the town frowns upon prestigious businesses participating and it's very overrated and she says okay thank you for fixing my car doing whatever you did and then they like split ways okay we switch to Ames POV and he watches her drive off and then pulls his phone out and watches her little blue dot drive home safe so he put a (gasps) tracker on her car (laughs) great like I was just fixing your flux capacitor your blinker fluid is gone (laughs) you needed blinker fluid (laughs) he thinks that his skills alone should have been enough to track her but he can't feel her presence and he doesn't know why so he had to rely on technology he gets to his destination an hour later for boys night and he's like i can't wait waited for this for a long time i need this boys night sometimes you need a boys night yeah yeah as he pulls up to boys night he stops it's in the middle of nowhere too by the way when there's a fire pit outside so as he pulls up to it he unbuttons his shirt and lets it fall to the grass and when he gets to the barn he gets punched in the face (laughs) i love boys night as one does typical boys Tonight, he has to fight the dragon, the wolf, and the devil. But if he wins, they'll hear him out and they'll join his cause. He fights dragon and wolf until only the devil is left. But he's the biggest out of all of them. But Ames is like, I got this. I'm the most ruthless. He doesn't win against the devil. Who would? But they all settle down and discuss why he called them together. Onyx, the dragon, says that after looking at her file, he looked into the stepdad and he's a real piece of work. More than she's aware of. He's got a long list of petty crimes and he was charged for manslaughter of Blythe's mom, but got off on a technicality. He's out on parole now, but that would mean he can't be chasing Blythe around because he can't leave Alabama. 
they ask Judas, the devil, his opinion, and he says that they shouldn't underestimate the stepdad. Seems like he enjoys the chase like they do, so is he another monster? And now they're worried about it because if the town let her in, will it let him in? But it's okay if it does because they'll take care of it. We switch to Blythe's POV. She wakes up to water everywhere. So she gets out of bed and there's like an inch of water just on the shag carpet. So the basement flooded. That's my fear. (laughs) Yeah. The basement flooding. Yeah. That. (laughs) Waking up to a flood. She pulls on her robe and goes outside and she goes around the house to let the Moors know that the basement flooded when a hand clamps on her shoulder, but it's Mr. Moore and he's apologizing profusely about the leak and hoping it didn't ruin her things and he will have it fixed later today. She climbs into her car to warm up after the exchange with Mr. Moore when he's all of a sudden knocking on her window and he's like, I forgot to tell you, you got this yesterday. (gasps) And it's a letter. (sighs) Who could it be? (laughs) He found her. And this is her stepdaddy, right? Stepdaddy. Not to be confused with demon daddy. (laughs) (laughs) She goes to the diner to clear her head and be somewhere warm when a man who looks similar to Dr. Cove approaches her and he says, I need a six letter word for how the victim in a horror movie walks so the predator doesn't hear them. Creepy. I'd be like, sir? Get out is six letters. Get out. (laughs) She wants to know who he is and all he does is smile and say that he's a friend and after they chit chat for a bit he goes to leave and she says the word that he's looking for is tiptoe so he fills in the space on his newspaper and tells her that she's not alone and then she gets a complimentary breakfast from onyx heart so that was who was meeting ames the night before for boys night okay but that's not the same guy no no he just looks similar to dr cove okay A.K. beautiful obviously hot with the basement flooding and her rent taking care for the inconvenience she goes to get new clothes since almost all of hers are ruined now she meets yesenia's abuela marceline and gets some new items that are heavily discounted and then she changes in the fitting room and when she goes to leave the store the door does not move it is not locked but it won't open it won't open it won't let her leave marceline walks to her and says that she doesn't want to see yesenia get hurt because of an outsider and as blythe is about to agree that she wouldn't let anything happen to yesenia marceline says if she decides to stay and live in their town they'd take care of their own and no one would dare to harm her and then she thanks Blythe and the door just magically unlocks and she can leave she heads to a group session at the church that Ames had previously told her about and she's very uneasy but she notices that there are only three cars on the lot including his and as she approaches she hears a male voice talking and recognizes Ames voice the other voice says you're sure he's here I haven't picked up anything he's under the radar somehow and fuck it if that doesn't piss me off who's here oh yeah who she keeps closer when the door swings open and Ames is smiling and saying that he's glad she showed up a tall muscular man says hi blue dot and she gives him a weird look and he's like inside joke he introduces himself as wolfgang jack but his friends call him wolf he was beefy with sun-kissed bronze skin black tribal tattoos curled around his thick biceps and it was an effort not to gawk he was gorgeous i don't know what it is about tribal tattoos but mm -mm. boo yuck yeah yucky uh like what tribe are you from yeah tell me (laughs) what is your tribe (laughs) i guess he has a tribe though he does so 
We can let this one slide. Yeah, he's okay. <laughs> All right, Wolf. She recognizes his name as the article that she read about Hollow's Fest a couple days ago. And then Onyx shows up and they all take their seats and she can't help but notice that she feels oddly comfortable around them. And she likes watching their banter and watch them messing with each other like they're brothers. She tells them a bit about herself and when she's finished, they all look furious. And Ames asks if she's heard anything from her stepdad. And he did tell the other two about the situation because they're well connected. So like the patient therapist confidentiality was not there. HIPAA. HIPAA, HIPAA, HIPAA. (laughs) She can sue you, sir. 100%. She would win. She pulls out the newest letter and passes it over to them. And Ames opens it and just stares at the black sheet. And Onyx asks if it's her stepdad for sure. And she admits that she thinks so. They had a run-in before Ashgrove. And he hurt her. So that's how she ended up in Ashgrove. She has a panic attack over the stress of them finding out what she did. She doesn't go further on that. Like, what'd she do? I don't... I don't know. Onyx grabs her hand and she's suddenly warm and drifting to a daydream when everything goes black. We switch to Ames POV. Wolf scoops her up and they debate where to take her. Ames wants to take her to his bed, but knows he would just chain her up and keep her forever. And that thought makes his dick hard. Okay, of course it does. An unconscious woman chained to your bed. Wolf says that he will take her and keep her safe with the pack while Onyx and Ames go hunting. And before they leave, he shows them the letter. And the reason it's always blank to her is because she cannot see what's really on it. So he's either a monster like them or someone who helps him is. But they don't say what's on it. Like never. She can't see it. Yeah. Never? No. I mean, there's other books. So maybe we find out. But yeah, we never find out. No. I want to know. Me too. Yeah, me too. Because she has a lot of them. She has like a hundred of them. There's three other books though. So maybe it goes into it. He helps Wolf get her to his car. Her hair soft as velvet. Her dark painted lips like a blackberry in a jar of milk. I wanted to bite them. And then I wanted to fuck her hard. I wanted to fuck every ounce of fear out of her. I wanted to fuck her brave because she could be brave now because she had me and I'd kill anyone trying to hurt her. Fuck her brave. Yeah. I want to fuck her brave. (laughs) I want to fuck the fear out of her. I want to make her more scared. (laughs) But he knows that he can't ever be with her and he doesn't want her to fear him even more, even though he does love the taste of her fear. And then him and Onyx separate to go hunting. We switch to Blythe's POV. She can't remember the last time she has slept so good and then she realizes that she's not in her own bed and she scrambles out of wherever she is to go outside. She runs into Wolf and he lets her know that after her panic attack, she passed out and they weren't sure where she lived, so he brought her home. He lets her know that he lives in a commune and he shows her around. He tells her dinner is about to be served, so he'll make sure that she's fed before he takes her home. After dinner, he offers for her to live at the commune since she's so happy to be there, but she declines. And when she touches his arm, there's a jolt of electricity. (gasps) He tells her to at least think on it, and then they leave to take her back to her car. When she gets back to her car, she goes to change for the first night of Hollow's Fest, but Wolf refuses to leave until her car is actually moving. So she tells him to turn around, buddy, and then she changes into her her, her little outfit mm. she's described as a bigger girl yeah i think it said she was like a size 22 oh mm-hmm. so she's a bigger girl she's bootylicious uh-huh curves like aphrodite that is a curvy curvy girl we go to ams pov he goes to hell and once he gets through the gates he tells cat that he is not in the mood for games cat steps out with her black fur gleaming blue and her tail swishing and he tells her that he's going to replace her because she can't do her job but she's like i already do two fucking jobs down here okay like 
Yeah. Calm down. He demands to know if she let someone out and she's appalled that he would ask that. And then he tells her he knows she knows something. So she needs to start talking. She doesn't know anything, but just then the ground shakes and a layer of dirt pushes up and she tells him that it's happening more and more. So he needs to shift. Cat leaves and he changes into a skeleton costume for their first night of Hollow's Fest. We go to Blythe's POV. She arrives in the dirt parking lot and it's suspiciously empty. She's like, maybe everybody carpools together? What's going on? <laughs> Where's everyone? She gets out of her car and is attempting to fix her corset when someone with long red hair and skin glowing white approaches and asks if she needs help. She accepts and notices the woman's smile is off. Her incisors are defined and long and she looks like a vampire and apparently she's like gorgeous they head to the festival together and the girl warns her of the monsters that will attend and how the most dangerous are the halloween boys <gasps> the halloween boys but she doesn't know what the halloween boys are no. yet, right it takes a while to get there the woman talks about the halloween boys and other monsters as if they're real and blythe is now anxious for a different reason and then all of a sudden they approach the festivities I was expecting a small town carnival, a little party, or at best something like a concert. This was, it was its own city, a living, breathing thing. Hundreds of masked people milled by in the most realistic suits and get-ups I've ever seen. Tents and lanterns jutted between mossy trees where people ate, drank, and mingled. People wasn't the right word. Werewolves, vampires, witches, ghosts, pirates, zombies, ghouls, and animals of all sorts went about their activities. There were so many of them. Oh, it sounds so fun. It sounds so fun. I know. I know. Her new friend introduces herself as Esmeralda and says that she can find her later by the band setup and then she leaves. Another vampire approaches her and starts flirting when all of a sudden he looks behind her, steps back and says that he didn't know she was his and then walks away. She turns around to see a huge muscular figure wearing all black and his face painted like a skull. A scary boy. She's obviously scared so she turns the other way and as she's exploring some more she runs into someone dressed up as a raven they have an instant connection and decide to go watch the band in people watch for her first night the raven warns her against going with any of the vampires or letting them touch her skin and then he takes her up into a treehouse so they can watch the festivities below and he introduces her to the murder and they are all called crow or raven she's like what's your name crow they're all crow or they are all raven that's how you can address them okay my pronouns are crow raven (laughs) 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 raven's my favorite yeah i like him you'll see he's cutie he's cutie yeah they eat snacks and watch the bands together and after some time she spots ghost and he's staring up at the treehouse so she excuses herself and thanks everyone for being so nice and then she dances the rest of the night until she's soaked in sweat and i said ew (laughs) she's just dripping wet (laughs) yeah gross stinky the last song of the night is slow and romantic and everyone pairs up but her so she goes to leave and then ghost is there with his palm out he doesn't say anything take this dance with me (laughs) mystery man he pulls her close and they sway together and then she says that he smells and looks delicious and he wants to kiss her and then he spins her around like spins her out and when he spins her back in she hits nothing like he just disappeared he said and for my party trick bye the irish goodbye gone (laughs) we switch to ames pov when Blythe took his hand, 
And they danced together. Something inside him remembered the intimacy he longed for and what's been missing for so long. As I pulled her to my arms, it burned my throat and made my mouth water. I wondered if her cunt tasted like fear too. I wanted to find out. To rip that too fucking sexy corset from her perfect body. I wanted to run my true tongue along every curve, divot, and dimple. Perhaps I'd search for another taste besides terror hiding somewhere between her folds. Maybe what dripped from her when she wanted me would taste like something else entirely. He wants to feel the terror in her pussy. (laughs) (laughs) He left her when he did so he could change and clean up and see her home. He doesn't want anyone else trying to take her home because she is his. The girl is mine. She emerges from the forest to get to her car when she notices him and asks what he's doing. And he says, I'm here to make sure you get home safe. And Wolf dropped me off. So you actually have to take me home because I do not have a ride. (laughs) I need a ride. (laughs) Can you take me home? (laughs) I'll give you gas money. (laughs) She lets him know that she's not going to be living with Wolf. She's going to stay where she's at. And he's like, what do you mean? What are you telling me? He's like, no, you're not. Yeah. She's like, uh... He offered for me to live on the, the commune. He's like, he did what? <laughs> She's like, you guys really need to communicate. <laughs> yeah. You guys are awful at this. That's against bro code. <laughs> Freaking boys night is not is going to be different next time. Yeah, it is. As they drive away, she tells him that she's happy to go to Hollow's Fest before her stepdad finds her and everything is over. And he's like, he won't be getting near you. Don't worry, we'll take care of him. And then they get to her house. He walks her to the door and she's like, you want to come inside? And he says, <laughs> no, good night. And he leaves. <laughs> she really misread the situation he's like i am your therapist as he was literally just thinking about what her vagina tastes like we will be talking about this at your next session yeah inappropriate (laughs) (laughs) he retreats to the forest to wait for her stepdad to show up when wolf tackles him to the ground both him and onyx are there and he tells them to fuck off he's gonna watch the house tonight but they're like you need to calm down and shift to get some tension out like you're really hostile right now he says no he's like i will not shift i won't do it i will not he's very stubborn and they watched security footage of simon's truck at a truck stop a month ago that was the time that blythe said before she got to ash grow she saw him and then like left the security footage shows a truck pulling up next to her car the door opens and then it blips to the door closing like there's no one there blythe gets out of her car and is walking when a shadow comes up behind her and she falls and then she like clutches her side and gets to her car and speeds off. The shadow stands there a moment and then speeds towards the security camera, knocking it around until it goes black. There's not like a person. It's just a shadow and a blip. Spooky. They don't know how he could be like one of them with mortal crime record. And they haven't heard of someone changing into something in a long time. And the last time that happened was when they changed into something. He has to be like ghost, a demon is what they think. A diamond. We switch to Blythe's POV. She walks into a still-soaked apartment and a note from Mr. Moore telling her that someone will be there to clean up tomorrow so she can stay in the spare room upstairs for tonight. So she grabs what clean clothes she has and goes upstairs to an atrociously frilly pink room with pink wallpaper and creepy vintage photos everywhere and a doll with like pigtails with ribbons in it. I'd go sleep in the yard. No, thank you. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, thank you. I'll go sleep in the water. (laughs) She gets ready for bed and replays her favorite memories of the night and her most favorite one is of the skeleton man. I slipped my hand under my panties. I thought of Ames and his sideways grin when he rubbed his hand through his black hair. I could marry them both together for this fantasy. My fingers found their mark. She's all horned up. In that scary pink room? 
I'm sorry. How? With that doll watching? Yeah. No, thank you. She climaxes thinking of Ames as a skeleton man and falls asleep. The next morning, she sneaks back into her apartment to get dressed for the day and she goes to the diner. She's counting what money she has and her favorite waitress tells her that her tab is actually paid for indefinitely so she can get what she wants. She was just going to get buttered toast and coffee for breakfast. Yeah, she's like, I have enough money for buttered toast and coffee. Like, this should work. Oh, but now she can get fucking eggs and bacon. Indefinitely. As much as she wants. I would love that. Free breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. Yeah. Just as she's about to ask who paid for her, Onyx strolls up and he sits down, tells her to order whatever she wants. It's already taken care of and then they get their breakfast. He comments on the jacket she's wearing and it's Ames's jacket from the night before. So he like put it on her because she was only in her corset and like skirt. And mm-hmm. he's like, I have one just like it. And she's like, your grandpa has the same jacket as this? He's like, well, no, it's my jacket. It's a, <laughs> it's like a vintage Letterman jacket from like an old ass high school. Yeah. Okay. Just as he's about to tell her something about going to the library after breakfast, Wolf comes up and sits next to Blythe in the booth. And then all of a sudden, Ames is also there. More food is out. They're all hanging out. Small talk about her first night at Hollows and what she's doing tonight. And she admits that she doesn't know if she's going to work because the Indian restaurant closes early all of October. And they tell her that it doesn't matter if she works or not, because if she stays there, they'll take care of her. She's theirs. Mm. They just met like the day before. Yeah. Is she going to fuck all of them? TBD. All right. We switch to Ames POV. His possessiveness is growing over Blythe. He's annoyed that he's getting very distracted by her and they haven't gotten any leads on her stepdad. They all go outside and Ames tells her that the other two will take her car to the library, but she's going to ride on his motorcycle. Oh, bad boy. <laughs> Apparently, he's had this motorcycle in storage and he just all of a sudden brought it out. It's just like a moped with a side cart. <laughs> <laughs> They head over to the library with Onyx's plan in place. They need to show her who they really are by giving her all the puzzle pieces to put together herself, and hopefully she won't run away screaming. When they arrive at the old library, it's attached to the abandoned high school where all three of them went to school a long time ago. She looks at all the first edition books in the library and first edition newspapers from 1823. Oh, so they're like Edward Cullen. (laughs) When she unfolds the newspaper, she looks at the picture and they freeze it says the town blamed the halloween boys for the massacre on halloween almost the entire town slaughtered in cold blood at the hands of three men the names are so small i can barely read them in this photo she stopped looking and i could see the way her throat tightened i felt the budding blossom of her tangy fear they look exactly like you guys and then onyx cuts in Mm. They divert her away from everything and Wolf leads her away so the two can talk. Ames grabs Onyx and slams him against the wall, wanting to know why he stopped her from piecing it together because that was the original plan. Onyx admits he thought he was ready for her to know, but he doesn't want to break what they all have right now. He wants to spend more time hunting Simon, which is the stepdad. I forgot to say his name earlier, Simon. They both agree and then go out to Wolf, who is also pissed about it, but agrees. And we learn in this situation that Onyx is a half vampire, Half dragon. Dragon, yes. Half vampire, half dragon. He's like the only hybrid. And that's how he gets Blythe to go to sleep, like when he touches her, because I guess vampires in this world have like a like a calming ability. Like they can make people feel different things. So he just like is like, go to bed. You sleep now. 
Ah, I would love if like that could happen to me. (laughs) You sleep. Just somebody touch me and I fall asleep. We go to Blythe's POV. She wakes up in her backseat of her car, but she hears people talking. So she pretends to be asleep for longer. It's Wolf and Onyx arguing about telling her something and going against it. They took her to an old church where they had their like group support meeting. And when they go inside up a set of stairs, they come to a small apartment. And apparently this is where Ames lives. He lives in the upstairs apartment of an old creepy church. And she's now glad that she has not stayed with him because the only private room in the whole apartment is a bathroom. Oh, so it's like a studio. Yeah. She's like, this church is also incredibly creepy. Yeah, I would not want to stay in the church. We switch to Ames POV. He likes her in his space way too much. He even considered claiming her when all of a sudden Wolf jerks his head up in alarm. Onyx helps Blythe go back to sleep again and Wolf says animal demon death everywhere and then they like go outside wolf finally shifts into his form and he's like a giant fucking werewolf like he's huge i was gonna say is he like a giant wolf thing yeah that's his tribe they notice when they go outside that there are this part was so sad a dozen dead foxes around all the pumpkins yeah Uh, yeah and they know it's a sign since Blythe has been dressed as a fox for hollow's best so they're like okay He knows what she was wearing. He knows where she is. Like, we need to figure this the fuck out. Wolf and him take off and they end up several hours past Ash Grove when Wolf stops and then heads to the forest. Ames follows until they're led to a swamp, but it's empty. They turn around to save the location for later to check it out. He tells Wolf to head out. He's going to go back the mortal way and then he feels it. 20 yards away is a ghoul and it's half the size of a horse with hunched long lane limbs. And I was like, oh my God. That is terrifying. Yeah, I hate that. Ames taunts it as he feels his power slowly flick back to life. The ghoul tells him that it's here for her. And when he goes to ask who sent the ghoul, it whispers, it will have gotten closer to her by now and he will never see because she makes him blind. It talks in riddles. I'm like, what? Ames shifts to his full demon being and the ghoul charges him. Ames attacks the ghoul and subdues it just as Wolf shows back up and they start to interrogate it and ask if it was wearing her stepdad's skin to scare her. And it says that it was, but that it took the form from her nightmares and then it took the stepdad. And that's all that really says. Like we get into a different part later, but it doesn't say how the ghoul took the stepdad. No. Before Ames decide to give the ghoul to Wolf in the pack, it says something possibly valuable. It says, please, it talks about you. I heard it. I know the way to break the curse on your home. You could free the souls and complete your contract. Just set me free. It's right in front of you. It's saying whatever it has to and trying to manipulate you, ghost. You know that. Let my people take it. It belongs to us. Hmm. What does that mean? And then the ghoul gets dragged away by Wolf and Ames can't help but think this is not over yet. We switch to Blythe's POV. She wakes up from a nap at Ames and something is nagging at her and she isn't sure if it's a dream or something more. She tries to explain it to Ames but doesn't want him knowing what she did. And then all of a sudden he grabs her jaw and tells her she needs to stop apologizing and that he wants her. This makes her mad and she thinks that's all he wants from her is like sex or like a pity party or something since he's take, they're taking care of her. And she goes to leave, but then he cages her against the wall. He looked at me over his glasses, his blue eyes glimmering through dark lashes. My breath hitched as he flicked his tongue over his full lips, the darkness and amber flicker of the room making him look like someone, something else entirely. The possessive tilt of his head as he surveyed me sent a jolt to my core and made me question my assertion. <gasps> 
she tells him to let her go and he does. As she gets to her car, there's a crow on it and she knows it's following her because it's like multiple times that the crow's just randomly like shown up where she was. And she feels like it like watches her. Uh-huh. Crows, they freak I love me them. Out. They're so smart. They are. They are very smart. But there's something about them. She says that she knows that crows like presents so she grabs bird seed and peanuts from her pocket and then sets it on her car and changes for hollows she just has bird seed and peanuts in her pocket because <laughs> she kept seeing the crow so she's like i'm gonna read about them and then she's like okay next time i see it like here you go here's a present she just always keeps it in her pocket <laughs> here i always keep this bird seed in my pocket are you hungry here. i was eating this but you can have it <laughs> just loose peanuts in her pocket <laughs> she drops her mask and when she goes to bend down and pick it up from the pavement she hears footsteps echoing the steps disappear and there's a hand at her shoulder she screams but it's yesenia and yesenia Yesenia offers for her to change at the shop with her instead of her car. So they go to the shop and Yesenia mentions that her and her abuela want to offer Blythe a job and a place to stay since she can't work as much with her kids in school. It's a decent paycheck. The apartment has no stove, but it does have a microwave, a computer, and a bathroom with a shower. And Blythe's like, yes, immediately yes. After that creepy night with the dolls. Opportunity girl. Yeah. Hell no. We fast forward a little bit. She's like getting ready and stuff. Um, She keeps having daydreams that get more vivid and happen more often. And Dr. Omar had said that it was a form of dissociative disorder, but she feels like they're real and more uncontrollable. She walks to Hollows when she runs into Esmeralda and they finish walking together. Esmeralda comments on Blythe's new familiar, the crow, and Blythe is confused by this, and Esmeralda explains a familiar for us. A familiar is a tiny, cute little demon who assumes the form of an animal. They show up around beings who are just coming into their powers. Usually they prefer witches, but anyone powerful will do. They are very protective of the being they choose or are gifted to. The crow keeps showing up because it's her familiar. It's her little bud. Yeah, I love it. Esmeralda leaves her and she continues to walk around and she's happy because she isn't seeing ghosts anywhere. She thinks about all the victims her stepdad left behind following her around like multiple states. So we learn that he killed waitresses in somewhere. I don't, I didn't put the thing. I just put waitresses in blank. <laughs> <laughs> An old couple you guys from figure Philly. It out. <laughs> and she's scared his next target are going to be her new friends. So she's like, I don't know if I should stay. I don't know if I should go. And her thoughts are disrupted by a spicy aroma of clove. She follows the scent to a bunch of witches and accepts a drink from them. An older witch asks her to step into the light for a moment. And she learns that she's missing her aura. Fishy. Where's your aura? Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Another witch says that she's also been claimed for the night and she turns around and guess who's there? Ghost. Ghost. But before she leaves, another witch grabs her palm and pauses looking at her lines and then drops her hand and she goes. So there's something fishy about her palm and she has no aura. And she has a familiar. And a familiar. So remember that energy. Remember that. Oh wait, so she's a little she's a little thing. Yeah, she's something. After wandering around, a rough looking man with an eye patch catches her eye and waves her over. She follows him, trying to piece together what his costume is, and it clicks when she arrives at a pond with multiple men and women sitting together with jewels and gold, and they are pirates. 
The bearded man, who's clearly the captain, and Scully, who led her there, hand her a glass of liquid. It smells like gasoline, but she chugs it, and they're like, hell yeah. They're like, yeah. <laughs> chug, chug, But they're chug. also wondering why the fuck it didn't burn her throat, because it is like the strongest rum that they have. Which they all settle and say that they're going to be sharing stories and poems if she wants to stay and she says that she does but she gets to pick the story and she wants to know who is ghost (gasps) who is he we don't we don't know we don't (laughs) learn it switches we go to ames pov his power is thrumming and begging to be let out he knows it's because of her but he can't figure out why and when he tasted her anger tonight his demon self wanted to fuck her and that's never happened before all i wanted in that moment was to let my beast free i wanted to stand at seven feet tall skin like the night glowing bones of the horrifying skeleton only tendon and terror the desire to push her down onto her knees and see how much of my monster cock she could fit in her mouth rode me hard i wanted to make her gag make her jaw hurt for days after i wanted to flood her mouth with my seed and put a hand over her lips until she swallowed it all oh, but does she want because like ooh, it's aggressive yeah very aggressive he thinks that between himself and ghosts, he will convince her to stay now that the ghoul is gone, and his thoughts are interrupted by a feline meow. It's Cat, and there's a problem, and she lets him know that a damned has escaped hell, and she isn't sure how. He doesn't want to leave Blythe, but Raven says he will watch her and bows to Ghost, and that he'll protect her with all his might and magic, and then Ghost leaves to take care of the problem. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back in Blythe's POV, and she's sitting with the pirates still, and Captain Vex decides that Blythe is worthy of a story. He tells her how in October of 1823, 12 Ashgrove women were taken into the woods by the Halloween boys. One body was left every night in the middle of town square. After the killings, the Halloween boys set the town on fire, and the men who committed this crime were cursed to spend eternity paying for their sins. Hallows began as a festival to honor the dead from the massacre, and rumor has it that on Halloween, the victims of the massacre walk the streets again, and everyone in town dresses in 1800s clothing so as not to confuse them. So that's what she was talking about earlier. Okay. Blythe leaves the pirates, shook about what she's just learned, and plans to confront Ghost about what she heard. Just then, Raven appears and insists on walking her to her car. So Raven is dressed up as a crow so he's like he looks like he's wearing like a plague doctor mask 
Okay. On their walk, Raven tells her that a lot of the people who come to Hollows don't live here, and Blythe is confused about how this is possible because she hasn't seen any newcomers walking around during the day, and everyone noticed right away that she wasn't from around here. So she's like, how would people be coming in every night for Hollows for a month straight when everyone is, like, looking at me weird because I came in? Yeah, that makes sense. Raven gives her some roundabout answer that doesn't help her be any less confused, and when they finally get to the car, Captain Vex and Esmeralda walk out together from the forest and there's blood on the captain's neck and on Esmeralda's mouth. (gasps) She tells Raven that she thinks they took the fantasy too far by actually drawing blood and Raven tells her he's deciding if it's in her best interest to know more or not. She tells Raven that she's not a child and can handle it, and Raven starts humming Gold Dust Woman, the Fleetwood Mac song, and earlier when she gave the crow those peanuts, that's what she was listening to in the car. And then he tells her thanks for the peanuts. Ah! And he uses her name, Blythe. She starts to ask Raven how he knows her name when she sees Wolfgang sitting at her car. She turns and Raven is just gone. He just disappeared. (sighs) He's our little crow. They start chatting about the little spat between her and Ames. So they're not speaking at this point because when he came on to her, she was like, you just want to fuck me. Don't ever speak to me again. And they have not spoken since that, which I feel like is a little bit of an overreaction because she does want to fuck him. But I know. Yeah. Blythe asks him if he's one of the villains of Hell's Gate Club and Wolfgang gets super serious and asks what Ames told her. So during the fight, Ames was like, I'm not the hero. I'm the villain. And oh, yeah. I'm the villain of Hell's Gate Club. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So she asks Wolf about it. And she tells him that Ames told her that he's a villain and asks if it's true. And Wolf is just like, maybe they're both gods and monsters. So he's like, maybe we're somewhere in the middle. He drives her car and drops her off at the shop where she lives now and says he's going to go walk to Ames's church. It's like right by the shop. Blythe walks inside and goes to her new room. It's nice and cozy and she gets in her little jammy jams. She's thirsty, so she opens the supply closet and finds water and her favorite soda. Which is weird. She just like opens it and it's stocked with what she wanted. Magic. She climbs into bed and falls asleep dreaming about Ames. Then we switch to Ames POV and he's obsessively watching Blythe as much as he can. He tries to catch glimpses of her from the window of the shop and watches her location on his phone. Something about Blythe has him wanting her bad. And he's annoyed that she's staying with the witches but sort of thankful because they have so many wards up where she's staying. So he can't go into the shop with all these wards up. So he's kind of annoyed that he can't like actively go watch her but he's like well at least she's safe from like everything even if it's including me right he's watched her as ghost for a few nights at hollows but never directly intervened while making sure she always had someone safe to walk her to her car at the end of the night he'd even cornered esmeralda one night and told her that blythe was off limits so esmeralda the vampire like wants to fuck blythe (laughs) he's still trying to find the dam that escaped and whenever he texts judas to ask for help judas tells him that he'll be back whenever he finds what he's looking for so after that boys night judas is like i gotta go do some shit and deuces bitches yeah like never came back (laughs) but i guess he does that often and he doesn't really talk either they said that he's like a very minimal worded man he's a man of few words As he watches her brushing her hair through the window of the shop, he thinks to himself that he'll follow her until the day she dies of old age. And when she does, he'll find her soul and follow that too. Okay, stalker. (laughs) 
I know, honestly. We switch back to Blythe's POV, and it's been about eight days since the fight, and Blythe is at a therapy session with Dr. Omar, but Ames isn't in the office. She's kicking herself for not just having sex with him when he made it clear that he wanted to, and she's also noticed that her stepfather has been quiet and wonders what that's all about, so she hasn't gotten any more letters. She's starting to feel like this town is home and really hopes that she doesn't have to leave. She'd called the Moors, so that's the old people that she was staying with in their Mm -hmm. basement, and she let them know that she's found another place to stay and Mr. Moore was super apologetic over the whole situation but still insists that she comes over to their house for dinner one night. Oh, sweet old people. So she goes to the Moore's house to have dinner and when she goes to knock on the door she notices the crow is watching her and thinks to herself that it's impossible for it to literally be Raven. This is my least favorite part of the whole book. Mr. Moore opens the door and she sees the living room is lined with hundreds and hundreds of dolls. And Mr. Moore refers to them as the girls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. There's a large doll with white hair and a smaller blonde doll sat at the dining table. And the smaller one is the same one from the bedroom when the basement flooded. They're literally sitting at the dining room table. She asks where his wife is. And Mr. Moore points at the larger doll and is like, um, she's right there. <sighs> what are you talking no. about? Are you blind? He's like, do you not fucking see her? <laughs> rude. Don't be rude. <laughs> so she decides to go along with it. And Mr. Moore tells her that the smaller doll is their daughter, Ellie. She's weirded out, but tries to make small talk and mentions Ames. Because Ames had dropped her off at the Moore's house. And she's like, wait, I didn't tell you where I lived. And he was like, oh, I'm friends with Mr. Moore. And he told me that you were staying here. So that's how I knew. I'm not stalking you. (laughs) I don't have your location. But Mr. Moore tells Blythe that he does not know Ames. And Blythe is really concerned at this point because Ames had told her that Mr. Moore was an old friend and that's how he knew where she lived. Mr. Moore tells her that her stepfather stopped by for her the other day and left a gift for (gasps) her. Blythe freaks out and tries to leave, but Ellie lets out a cackle. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't like this anymore. (laughs) I want to stop the episode. (laughs) Stop it. As she gets up and goes to the front door, all of the dolls begin to laugh too. Hundreds. She said maybe even (laughs) thousands of dolls. Yeah. Every inch of the living room is filled with a fucking doll. And they're all like, no. I would shit my pants. <laughs> yeah. I would shit a turd. <laughs> shit a turd. <laughs> the crow dive bombs her as soon as she steps onto the porch and she runs to her car and drives off to get the hell out of town. Like she's like, I'm done. Absolutely done with this town. This is my breaking point. <laughs> oh, I would tap out for sure. Well, because her stepfather found her too. Yeah. So she's it's not because like, the dolls. <laughs> no, she runs because the stepfather, but also like the dolls. The dolls. Mm, the dolls and Mr. Morris just like t- has a conversation with them. Yeah. She- <laughs> Is he like, girls, stop laughing. Yeah. She, he was like, I haven't heard Ellie laugh like that in ages. She must think you're hilarious. Yeah, it's <gasps> terrifying. No. no, no, no. As she's driving, she gets a text from the group chat. So she's in a group chat with the Halloween boys. And the text is from Wolfgang about a taco night at his commune. She throws her phone and keeps driving. And she finds herself on a windy highway and doesn't know where she's headed. Fog fills the road and suddenly she sees a tall figure in the headlights. So she slams on the brakes, but the man is gone. She gets out of the car and decides that if it's her stepdad, she's just going to face it here and now when 
suddenly a figure appears in front of her and grabs her arms as she screams. I would never no. get out of my car. <laughs> no. I mean, she's like, I'm kind of just done with this. Let's get it yeah, over with. At, at this point, I think I would like purposely crash my car <laughs> into a fiery, fiery car accident. We switch to Ames POV. He shifted from his demon form to his human form before Blythe recognizes him. And she sobs and throws herself into his arms, telling him she's leaving because he found her. Ames grabs her hair and yanks her head back and asks, who? In his demon voice. <laughs> she tells him her stepdad, her stepdad found her. He tells her that Onyx called today, telling him that the police caught her stepdad weeks ago, but Blythe tells him that he'd shown up at the moors looking for her last night. Ames tells Blythe he's going to kill him and lifts up her shirt to see her faded bruises. He asks, who did this to her? Who did that? Who did do that? That was in the security video when that like shadow thing like was behind her and then she just uh, fell. That's right. I thought you were going to say he lifts up her shirt to like look at her boobs. Look at those titties. You can't leave town. <laughs> you can't leave town. These are mine. <laughs> she tries to lie about where the bruises came from, but he demands to know. And she tells him that she'd seen his truck three weeks ago, a few towns back at a truck stop. And he'd come up behind her and grabbed her by the ankle, dragging her on the ground before a trucker honked his horn at them. And he'd let her go, giving her time to drive off. He vows to her that he's going to kill her stepdad slowly and painfully. He'll cut off his appendages one by one, starting with his dick. And when he dies, that's when the worst part comes for him. Oh, God. She asks how many people he's killed. And he says, too many to count. And she says, me too. Uh-huh. Blythe. <laughs> She's crazy girl. The tree. Crazy girl. She tells him about how her stepdad had attacked her a few days after they'd buried her mom and she stabbed him in the neck with a butcher knife and sat with his dead body for two days. She forged a suicide note and left town. That's when the letters started. He tells her that he believes her even when she says she knows it sounds crazy. He puts Blythe in the car and drives her back to Ashgrove. And when they get back to the church, she asks him if he's a serial killer and he says he's killed a lot of people, but he won't hurt her. She asks if he's killed good people and he says not for a long time. He starts caressing her and tells her all the ways he's going to kill her stepdad and she's hella soaked. Red flag. Hella soaked. That yeah. <laughs> Wait, so she says she's killed a bunch of people too, right? Yeah, just one. Just her st- stepdad Uh but he's not dead he brings her to the bed and tells her to take off her shirt and she does and says that she's getting nervous with him staring at her like that and he says that he could stare at her for 200 lifetimes and it still wouldn't be enough to take her in oh okay he drags her to the edge of the bed and starts to eat her out and she tells him that she's a virgin she's messed around with guys and girls (gasps) but never oral or sex this is her first time then what were you doing running from her stepdad (laughs) trying not to get murdered i don't know (laughs) fair my cock twitched and my demon raged like a feral animal clawing to be freed he wanted to fuck her I wanted to take her like that, too, to paint my demon cock red with her virgin blood. (gasps) Sir. (laughs) To feel her tight walls squeeze and milk me for everything my wretched body would give. I wanted to envelop her with my seven feet tall form and look at her with my clear vision, my body and senses not muffled by my mortal mask. As a human, I was like a bird with weights on its wings. As a demon, I could ravish her the way I desired. A little sex demon. Despite this, he tells her that they don't have to do anything she doesn't want to do, and she tells him that she does want to do this. He starts going down on her again and puts a finger in her. He really wants to let
let his demon out to have a taste of her and decides that he's going to go for it. So he makes sure that his eyes are hidden and shifts to his demon form. So he looks the same, only his eyes change? He, no. When he shifts? So he, he <laughs> shifts like halfway. So he's like, I'll just let my demon have a little tasty taste. Okay, okay. I groaned into her wet cunt, knowing what I was about to do was wrong. Since when did I give a shit? I took her clip between my lips and sucked before nibbling with my teeth. My shifted tongue rolled out then, forked and gripping at her sweet bundle of nerves. <gasps> forked. He's yeah, a demon. He has a forked tongue. Oh my god. She tightened around my finger as her grip pulled at my hair. Breathy whimpers sang along the stone walls of the church attic, an angel's little death song. The honey in my mouth intensified as I pumped in and out, hooking inside her, pressing on that delightful spot along her inner walls. Fuck, she tasted so good on my true, depraved taste buds. That's it, darling. Give it to me. Give me what's mine, I growled, hearing a hint of my evil. With sudden need, I removed my fingers and let my tongue snake inside her wanting opening, pushing in, swirling, searching, and tasting her from within. A moan rumbled in my throat as I explored the inside of her. She pulled my hair. Whatever you're doing, it feels so good. Her head fell back onto the pillow as her back arched. Her pleasure exploded into a cascade of sugared wine down the length of my tongue. She cried out the most solemn and erotic declaration, one I didn't deserve, especially from her, but I'd drink every drop she offered. My mouth didn't stop its hungered swipes until she shoved at my face, breathlessly begging me to stop. I would this time. <laughs> this time. They lie together afterwards and she asks about his childhood. He says that he was raised on a farm not far from here and his father was a drunk and his mom was a devout Catholic who made him go to church every Sunday. But he didn't mind because he liked the stories. He had seven brothers and seven sisters, but they're all dead. He met Onyx, Wolf, and Judas when they were all kids. He tells her that she'll meet Judas soon. She asks about the killing and he tells her that it's a compulsion and she asks if he's ever wanted to kill her he says only with pleasure and then she mentions ghost who follows her around hollows he plays dumb and says he sounds like a prick and offers to take her to the festival but she says no she just wants to stay here with him and sleep so she skips the festival he is ghost yeah okay and she has like a sneaky suspicion yeah okay we switch to Blythe's pov two weeks have passed and she's staying with ames he eats her out every night but doesn't kiss her and they don't do anything else sexually. She's at Hollow's dancing when she decides to go and try and find the witches by the willow tree. And when she gets to the willow tree, it's empty. So that's where she found them before, by the willow tree. But they're not there tonight. She decides to sit under it and tells the tree that it's pretty. She's like, I'll just talk to the tree. Since I can't talk to the witches, I'll talk to the tree. Okay. She hears a voice tell her that she's pretty too and a sheer white cloud floats over. She's really impressed by this costume. At this point, she still thinks everyone is just in really elaborate costumes. Okay, I was just about to ask. Does she know? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the figure says that she's a curious force and asks who called her into the town. She tells them that she's just passing through and they say that they don't remember their name but tells her to be watchful. The town is not what it seems. It hands her a necklace and tells her to wear it and always choose the right path. The necklace floats and clasps itself around her neck and the figure asks her to play hide and seek and then it's suddenly gone. That's scary as fuck. (laughs) She leaves the willow tree and goes back to the festival just then the crowd around her disappears and a fog surrounds her she backs right into a werewolf and a dragon man hybrid and the dragon tells her not to fuck with the spirits because they're unpredictable suddenly ghost appears too and tells her the willow spirits are harmless as long as she didn't agree to any games but she did she said she would play hide and seek oh no 
Ghost backs away into the woods and he's gone again and she runs after him but now she's alone in the woods and she doesn't see Ghost but she continues chasing in the direction that he went. She knows who Ghost is at this point. She'd gone to the library that morning and looked for a photo of the Halloween boys and it was very clearly Ames, Wolfgang, and Onyx. So she's like, this is the Halloween boys. I don't know how but it's literally them and they're like 200 years old. She finds herself in front of a wrought iron fence and knows that Ghost is behind the gate. The gate opens on its own and the fog parts revealing a ton of old gravestones and then she sees him leaning against one of them. She asks him when he's going to stop following her and he asks her when she's going to stop running. Yeah, bitch. The fog runs up her thighs and wraps around her throat. She calls Ghost Ames and he tells her that she's stepping on him and she looks down to see she's sitting on a gravestone that reads James William Cove 1794 to 1823 and his day of death was Halloween. So James is dead. Ames. James. Oh my James God. James Ames. Dead. Rest in peace. He should have went by Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> oh, Jimmy. Ew. Jimmy is dead. Ugh. I've never heard of a James go by Ames. I mean, it makes more sense than Jimmy. Well, Jim. But James, they should be going by Jam. Jimothy? <laughs> Jimothy. <laughs> James tells her that he's an archdemon, the worst of the worst, more powerful than any god she's ever heard of, and he crashes a kiss down onto her mouth. <gasps> they kiss. He grabs the back of her thighs and sits her on top of his headstone, and she wraps her legs around his waist, and they make out as she pulls her breasts out of her top and begins to kiss her nipples. She takes off his belt, and he asks if she really wants her first time to be with a monster, and she says, yes, she wants him. He kicks off his pants, and his dick springs free, and it's huge. Big monster cock. She begins to stroke it, and he peels her dress off, leaving her in just fishnets and heels on his gravestone. So there's still sitting on his gravestone. She feels the fog slip through the holes in her tights and rip them. And he tells her that the fog is the smoke from hell's flame and it is him. He controls the fog. The smoke flicked lightly against my bare pussy, feeling buzzy and firm. I hissed in a small breath as I grabbed his cock and lined the tip with my opening. He sucked in a breath, ready for me to fuck you on my grave. (laughs) Are you? Are you ready? He starts to push into her and asks if she wants him to stop and she says no. No, don't hold back. She can take it. And in one thrust, he's in. And she screams. Yeah. Her poor hymen is just shattered. Ghost stilled, letting me adjust to his girth while his mouth found my neck. He pulled out only halfway and looked down. Your blood looks good on my cock. Ugh. Yucky. The smoke begins circling her clit and she comes as he slams into her. When her orgasm subsides, Ames is inside her still. So from this point on, I kind of just like, I use both Ghost and Ames, but they're the same person, so it's fine. Right. When her orgasm subsides, Ames is still inside her, but he's frozen with his head resting on her shoulder and she looks down to see the smoke wrapped around her wrist tying her to the gravestone. Ames's breathing starts to intensify and his whole body starts to expand. His clothing starts to rip and it's just obsidian muscle with white bones. His hair is gone too, which I thought was funny. He's just bald. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would freak me out. She starts to scream, but he tells her to stop. He likes it too much when she does. She can feel his now humongous dick stretching her and she whispers for Ames. A dark, unholy voice responded. There's no Ames here. This is your archdemon, little ghost. I'm sorry, but little ghost? That's her, little ghost. Oh, he's, she's little she's ghost. She's little ghost. Yeah. I thought he was saying like, this is your archdemon, 
Little ghost. <laughs> they call me little ghost. <laughs> <laughs> little ghost. And that's Hell's cock inside you. He growled, his voice different now, deeper, more sinister. The stretch continued and burned as his length expanded and filled me. She can't hold back and she screams and he starts licking her breasts with his forked demon tongue. I would have been terrified if I weren't so turned on. He was staring at me with those eyes, so blue they were almost white, retreating an inch. He said, I can pretend that fucking a pure and gentle virgin doesn't turn me on. I'm damning you with my demon cock, little ghost. Keep screaming for me. Ames had begun having sex with me, but transformed into a demon fucking me. A terrifying and huge thing, stretching me, pulling me. Wetness pooled and dripped down my ass. I cupped his face, searching those haunting eyes. Oh my god. He starts moving inside of her and she screams, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) He growled deep with an ancient and knowing tone. No gods. I devoured them all. Only me, fucking my virgin on my grave, watching you take my demon fucking monster cock. I cried out again, screaming in pleasure, pain, fear, and ecstasy as he plunged forward, the sound of my wetness, proof of how turned on I was by his new form. You're mine now. Do you hear me? Fucking mine. Forever. Huh. Okay, ghosty ghost. She says yes, forever, and he slams into her all the way and tells her he claims her and keeps repeating this as he thrusts in and out of her. She asks what that means, but he keeps going until he comes inside of her, and he pulls out, stands up, and he's about eight feet tall. Holy shit. When I looked down, I saw it. Black smudged all over my pussy and dripped down my thighs. Him. His wet and dark release. <gasps> so it's like black? Tom's black. Yeah. Oh my god. He tells her she needs to leave and walk away calmly because she doesn't know what he's just done and what it means, but she refuses. A growl rumbled through his throat. If you don't calmly walk away, I will fuck you again. (laughs) (laughs) I will fuck you. (laughs) Harder, and I won't be able to stop. I will fuck you so hard, so many times, you'll be raw and begging me to end it. I will cover you with my demon seed until you're drenched in me, head to toe. (laughs) I'm gonna come all over your toes. I'm gonna rub it in all over your body. She begs him not to make her leave as his smoke starts to push her away from him, but she still refuses. The smoke pushes her naked body down into a pile of leaves, and the gates to the cemetery slam shut as he stalks toward her. She gets up and starts to run, but she can hear him roaring behind her. I'm gonna get ya! We switch to Ghost's POV. He's freaking out a little bit at this point because he's just claimed her without thinking. I watched those perfect pink lips of her pussy take me as I slide in and out, sending my demon seed deep into her, spilling out of her like pure evil, and staining her milky white skin black with me. Her red blood still coated my length. Mine. My claimed. I would have kept fucking her. I wouldn't have stopped. She was a virgin. My virgin. My fucking virgin. Taken atop my grave like some sort of demonic ritual i mean at least it was his grave and not some random stranger i know they're just in their grave like why (laughs) please don't (laughs) get off he steps out into the forest and loves the way it feels when he's in his demon form he's contemplating chasing her down and fucking her again when he smells someone nearby and tells them to show themselves it's the damned soul who'd escaped and it tells ghost that they only want her she does not belong to ghost Cat prances up and says she'll take care of it from here and brings the spirit back into the cemetery and closes the gate behind them. Just as he's about to start chasing Blythe again, he senses the demon, the one that had been wearing her stepfather's skin. <sighs> yeah. 
We switch to Blythe's POV. She hides under a bridge waiting for ghosts to appear and fuck her again. Like a fucking bridge troll. I know. Honestly, <laughs> she's like, come and fight me. Come fuck me. I am Blythe and this is my bridge. Rah! You cannot cross. A flash of white blinds her and it's the willow spirit telling her that she found them. The spirit stills and tells her that something evil is near and Blythe hears, I can smell you, whore, in her stepfather's voice. <gasps> the willow spirit presses a finger to her mouth and tells her to stay silent as the demon tells her that her mother is still alive and he's here to take her home, but she knows this is a lie. She can hear its footsteps over the bridge before it walks back the way it came. The willow spirit grabs her hand and pulls her out the opposite side of the bank. She looks back to see her stepdad bracing himself on a tree and she starts to run when she feels an invisible hand grab her ankle and a voice says, got you, master will be pleased. And something wraps around her whole body like a boa constrictor. It tells her that she's a devil fucking slut and he's going to have some fun with her first. She hears a crow cawing and then there's a flash of white light and the willow spirit tells her to run. It's her turn to hide. Her stepfather's body drops to the ground and dozens of black clouds shoot out from its body and bind together to coil up like a snake. Uh. The willow spirit begs her to go, but she says no as the black cloud tears through the willow spirit over and over and over again. The crow appears and tells her they need to go now, and she follows the crow as the willow spirit screams in agony, and then the screaming stops. She follows the bird and then suddenly runs straight into Onyx. She explains quickly to him what just happened and his eyes shift into something snake-like and he tells her to get behind him. Her stepfather hobbles into view and Onyx shoots some green light out of his palm and into the demon thing. He demands for Onyx to hand over the girl and Ghost appears and Ghost is fucking pissed. He wraps Blythe in a barrier of smoke and the stepdad demon's body explodes with hundreds of demons. Ghost tells them to obey their archdemon but they tell him that they answer to the one above him and that Blythe wasn't his to claim. She watches as a full-on battle breaks out, and every time Ghost kills one of the black cloud things, three more appear. He yells that it's a Hydra Legion, and Wolfgang appears in his wolf form, and the crow yells at her to hop on Wolf's back. She does, and they take off back into town. Wolf drops her off and runs back to help the others, and she turns to see the crow has shifted into her friend Raven, and Raven tells her that he is her familiar. It's almost dawn, and Raven tells her that demons like that can't survive in the sunlight, so they go back to Blythe's apartment where the witch's wards will keep her safe, and Marceline is there waiting for them with three other witches, and one of them is Yesenia. Marceline asks her if she gave herself willingly to the archdemon, and she says yes, so she can smell the whole situation that just happened. Oh. His inky black cum. She's like, you fucked him, huh? You did. Yesenia hugs her and says she's so glad she's all right and she goes up to her room with Raven in his bird form and she takes a shower. She falls asleep in her bed as Raven stands guard on the window pane. We switch to Ghost POV. The Halloween boys absolutely annihilate the Hydra Legion but since they respawn exponentially the guys are fighting them until the sun rises and the demons are forced to run off and hide. They shift back into their human forms and head back to town after healing each other's wounds from the fight. Onyx has to feed on Wolf to heal his wounds and Wolf tells him no pleasure sucking but when it's over Wolf is bricked up. Yeah. 
Oh, shit. Onyx offers to take care of it for him, but Wolf just adjusts himself and keeps walking. Ames is upset that he can't sense Blythe and asks where she is. Wolf tells her that he left her with her familiar and assumes she went to her apartment where she's safe behind the wards. Ames says she doesn't have a familiar because she's not a demon or a witch, but Wolf is like, yeah, she definitely does. He's like, I know these things. It's the fucking crow. Get with the program. Yeah. They all go back to Ames's and make some food, but he can't stop thinking about Blythe. At the very least, she was getting rest, and she sure as fuck wouldn't be getting that if she were here. She'd be getting dicked down until she (laughs) passed out from pleasure, and then I'd fuck her while she slept. Okay. (laughs) Ames. Onyx yelled from the shower and it echoed through the stone walls. Stop thinking with your cock, ghost. Your drive is so high right now, it's getting me hard. (gasps) Oh, so they can like sense it when each other's like horned up. We haven't done that in years and we don't have time, I replied. Besides, my cock was stuck on Blythe at the moment, probably forever. We don't have time, but they've done it for years. Oh my god. Wait, they've like fucked each other before? Yeah, they're really good friends. But, oh, yeah. Okay, as as friends do. You gotta take care of each other. Sometimes boys night gets a little sideways. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. The guys all eat and rest on the couch together and Onyx tells the guys that Judas texted him this morning to let them know that he's on his way back. Wolf tells him that his pack got some nonsense information from the demon that they interrogated and they're hyper fixated on Blythe for some reason. They agree to ask the witch coven for help protecting Blythe from whatever it is that's out to get her. We switch to Blythe's POV. She wakes up the next morning to a text from Ames telling her to come out because he misses her. So he's like outside of her little apartment and he's like, come out. I miss you. I miss you and that pussy. She texts him back that the witches want to talk to her this morning, but she'll find him this afternoon. She opens the supply closet to find muffins, iced coffee, and a pain reliever for her sore vagina. Oh, how nice. Yesenia comes into her room and they start talking and she tells Blythe that everything is real. She's an actual witch and that the witches are waiting for her, but Yesenia isn't allowed to go. She warns Blythe that the older witches hate ghosts, but the younger witches have a different view of the Halloween boys. Blythe gets herself ready and goes to speak with the coven, but before they're willing to speak with her, they make her take a 30-minute soak in a moon water bath to cleanse her. While she's soaking, she suddenly has a vision of the lot she parked in for hollows, but it's burnt and the whole forest around is decaying. Raven appears next to her and she asks what happened, and he says, you did. (gasps) She's filled with rage for some reason and comes back to reality. She goes down to meet the coven and they tell her she's late. It's been two hours. Two hours? They sit her at a table and four items appear. A red rose, a purple hyacinth, a white daisy, and a yellow daffodil. One of the crones tells her to pick one. She points to the hyacinth, and suddenly the items turn into bat wings, a rabbit's foot, a fish head, and a pink feather. She picks the bat wing. So she's, like, really into bats. She has, like, a stuffed bat that she sleeps with every night. Bats are her thing. She loves them. Okay. They change again to a snake skin, a monarch butterfly, a small animal pelt, and a white tooth. She chooses the snake skin, and when she touches it, it reanimates and is like an actual snake. Yeah. That's kind of cool. She's taken to another room with a crystal ball and introduces herself to some of the other witches. They're all old crones that tell her she is peculiar and start to ask her about her relationship with the Halloween boys. One of the witches pricks her fingers with a needle and squeezes a drop of her blood onto the crystal ball and it turns glowing and black. Marceline starts shuffling her tarot deck, and when she reads the cards, she tells Blythe that the Halloween boys have damned her. She is not of the living. She is dead. What? What? 
Yeah, that's why I said. When did that happen? When he fucked her? So he like fucked her dead. No, she's just dead. What? <laughs> we switched to ghost POV. He's waiting for Blythe outside the witch's shop when he sees Raven come out in his human form and tells him that he's on his shit list for not bringing Blythe to his church instead. Ghost demands to know why Raven bonded to her and Raven said he didn't have a choice, but they aren't enemies. They both want what's best for Blythe. Raven tells Ghost that Blythe is pissed about whatever the witches told her and that the witches wish to speak with him. Raven pulls out a mirror and hands it to him and Marceline is in the reflection. She tells Ghost that Blythe isn't a witch, but there's something alluring about her. They like her. As they're talking, Ghost notices that she still looks very young for her big age. The same as when he killed her all those years ago. <gasps> yeah. Oh my god. So many twisty turnies. It is twisty turny. Marceline tells him that he looks the same too, and he scolds her to get out of his thoughts. Marceline asks him if him and the other boys can sense her, and they tell her that they can't. She's an anomaly. She tells him that the witches are going to put up wards around the town. Nothing will be able to come in, but nothing will be able to get out either. But the wards will fall at midnight on Halloween, so he needs to make good use of the time. She then tells him to burn in hell, and he asks if she'd like for him to take her with him next time, and the mirror goes black. So she hangs up on him. (laughs) Blythe storms out of the shop with all her belongings slung over her shoulder, and Ghost orders Raven to take her bags to the church. She randomly asks Ghost if spirits die, and he says death isn't an end, but it's a redistribution of energy. So she's really upset about the Willow spirit getting, like, Yeah, yeah. that part was sad. She gets on the back of his motorcycle and tells him not to hold back, and they go for a little ride into the woods, and he takes her into a cavern and summons his hell smoke. Inside the cavern is a waterfall with a pond, and he tells her to look up, and there are bats hanging all over the cave. And she's stoked. She loves bats. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. She asks to see his demon form again so he shifts for her and she explores his demon body and he wonders if she finds him attractive the smoke circles around her body and he tells her that it's an extension of him as he uses it to bind her wrists above her head and dangles her in the air so she's eye level with him the things i'd do to you blithe pearl i growled biting her lip i tasted her honeyed longing do them demon daddy <laughs> demon daddy demon daddy he unfurls his demon tongue and starts to lick her between her breasts Big fan of that, but I want to taste you too, she panted. Make me your bat. It took me a moment to understand her, and then I remembered the thousands of bats surrounding us. My cock sprang from half to full stand. Make me your bat. And he's like, oh, you want to play, huh? (laughs) He flips her upside down using his smoke, and her skirt flips up to reveal her. I wonder what my cum will look like flowing out the sides of your mouth, little ghost. Show me. I heard her intake of breath before she took me with two hands, letting them roam, curving around opposite the other from tip to shaft. Then, finally, her tongue flicked forward, licking the bead on my tip that gathered an appreciation of her. Fuck, I groaned, feeling her mouth stretch as she took me in. I looked down, seeing her nipples poking out from her low top, her middle and soaked panties at easy access. I let my long finger slip under the fabric and jerk, tearing them down with ease. Your cunt smells so good, little demon fucking whore, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, she is. She nodded as she pursed her lips around my cock. Daddy demon wants to hear you say it, Blythe. I gritted out, feeling my release build already. I pushed a finger inside her wet entrance and she moaned. My finger alone was larger than the average human male's manhood. I watched at perfect vantage the stretch of her pink little pussy. Mm Mm-hmm. She pulled off, the cold air of the cave assaulting my dick. I needed her back. I'll be your demon whore. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, be his demon whore. He starts to fuck her upside down face and she screams. He can taste her fear and it puts him into a frenzy. She's retching and choking but still taking him and he can feel himself grazing her airway so he pulls out to let her get a breath in before thrusting his dick and his fingers all the way inside her. Oh my god, that sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah. Like hanging upside down. Ugh. I growled with everything unholy in me, pouring into my claimed little virgin turned whore. The feel of her mouth struggling to take me in, her gagging and pushing her tongue against me, all while her pussy weeped. And then her gags turned to screams, the walls containing her orgasm clamped down around my fingers. I was cutting off her air supply with my cock, hanging her upside down, threatening to break her jaw, and the bitch was coming. <gasps> okay. <laughs> ah! The bats all start flying around the cave, and he pulls out halfway through his orgasm and spills his black cum all over her face. Oh my god. <laughs> I licked my fingers of her orgasm before shoving them into her mouth for a taste, which she accepted. Mmm, she moaned appreciatively. I like your taste, she said, out of breath. My smoke held her like a swing, and she wrapped her hands around the ropes of it, like an innocent little human on the devil's playground. You burn, like alcohol. Oh, that sounds literally awful. Yeah. Yes. Terrible. I love it. They kiss passionately, and afterward, he cleans her off using the water from the cave. They hike out of the cavern, and he shifts back to human form, and they get on his bike. She asks him what they did with her stepdad's body, and he tells her that the wolves are keeping it until she can decide what she wants to do with it. She tells him that she wants to go grab some marshmallows at the store, because they're having a bonfire tonight. <gasps> Burn him. Later on, they meet up at Onyx's farm, where the wolves have brought her stepdad's body. She uses a lighter and lights the body on fire. Onyx uses his dragon powers to create a firework show with the flames and she puts a marshmallow on a stick and roasts it and enjoys watching her stepdad burn i feel like that would make my marshmallow taste weird yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know if i'd want the marshmallows but i get it we switch to blythe's pov a week has passed and blythe has spent every night at the church with ghost and he's insistent that they live together now she starts asking questions about the curse on the town and he tells her that mr moore is one of the cursed humans his wife and child are dead but he doesn't know it he really does think that the uh, dolls are his family that's so sad but still so creepy it's so creepy <laughs> Yeah. Blythe wants to find a way to free them of the curse. The other Halloween boys come over to the house to hang out, and Blythe starts asking about the rumors about what they did to the town on Halloween all those years ago, so Onyx starts to tell her the stories. The guys were in their 20s back then, and the women started going missing. They hunted down the men that did it and tracked them to a cave in the woods. They were gray during the night and walked the town like regular humans during the day. The Halloween boys killed them one by one and left their bodies in the town square every day. But the men were demons sent by the devil. The devil was pissed at them for interfering, so he dragged them to hell and transformed them into what they are now. They can't leave the town, and anyone who enters the town can't leave. But everyone aside from the Halloween boys is capable of dying. They have no memory of the night of the massacre, but do think it's possible that they did kill everyone. The humans that were spared are the ones who are stuck in the town. The ones who died are in a separate section of Ghost Cemetery and are bound to Ash Grove, unable to move on. Ghost tells them that she'll meet Judas soon. He's a devil, and apparently there are multiple devils. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like one devil, like we know. It's like hundreds of different ones. Another week passes, and she spends most of her time hanging out with the guys and working at the witch's shop. 
Some nights she goes to hollows with ghosts and sometimes they stay together in the church. That night, the Halloween boys decide to take Blythe trick-or-treating so they all get ready. Ames slash ghost insists that Blythe wears the outfit she was wearing the night they got in their fight because he wants to fuck her in it later. Which outfit was that? It was just like a corset outfit. Oh. He paints her face as a skeleton to match his. She starts to kiss Ames and says she wants him in his mortal form since they've never actually fucked like that. And Ames tells her it sounds like she wants some mortal cock. Uh He says they'll have to be quick before Wolf and Onyx show up. He rips her fishnets and takes off his pants. He tells her he'll try not to shift, but no promises. He jerks his hips forward and slams into her. I want to hear you scream it. You're mine. God, your screams taste delectable. Almost as good as your perfect little cunt. His hand inched between us and found my sensitive spot, pressing and flicking. Without resistance, I did as he ordered, screaming yes over and over. I'm yours. That's it, little ghost. Now come on my mortal cock. Let me feel your little cunt squeeze it empty. She comes and he's on the edge of shifting, telling her it's hard not to when she screams like that. She begs him to come inside of her like this and he suppresses the urge to shift to his demon form and comes and she thanks him. They meet up with the guys in the town square and Onyx and Wolf's faces are painted the same as Ghost and Blythe's. They have a ton of fun trick-or-treating around the town and in the shops and Blythe stops to eat some candy. Onyx gifts Blythe a vintage Grateful Dead shirt. The town let them in as a special treat, and she can see that Ames seems jealous when she hugs Onyx and says thank you. So I guess a while back, the town was like, you know who's cool? Grateful Dead. We should let him play a show here. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She pulls Ames aside and asks if he's mad at her, and he says no, but his friends need to learn respect and stop being overly friendly with her. As they continue walking through the streets, Mr. Moore appears. Oh, Mr. Moore. The guys introduce themselves and Mr. Moore asks if they know his daughter Ellie and they all pretend that she's alive and tell him what a nice girl she is. They walk to Marceline's house and the guys toilet paper it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) Blythe tells them that they're awful and they all head back to the church and she founds out the guys have been secretly drinking this entire time so they're all drunk. They sit in the church and go through their candy hall, and when Blythe drops a piece down her shirt, Ames tells her to allow him. He tugs off her t-shirt and starts licking the candy from between her breasts as Wolf and Onyx watch. He leads her to an altar and has her sit on a throne atop it. He spreads her thighs and rips her second pair of fishnets that night and starts to eat her out as Onyx and Wolf stare intently at them. Wolfgang starts to palm himself over his pants, and Blythe tells Ames that she can't believe he's okay with this. He tells her that he's okay with them worshipping her from down there and have them wishing she was theirs. Wolf pulls down Onyx's pants and his dick springs free as Ames' fingers sink into Blythe. Wolf stands up behind Onyx and pushes his hand away, grabbing Onyx's dick and stroking it. And Blythe is into this. Oh, yeah. she's like, girl. okay. Onyx runs his tongue up Wolf's wrist before biting down on his palm. I watched as two thick streams of crimson blood drip down Wolf's fingertips, who then promptly lowered it from the vampire's mouth to Onyx's cock. My mouth fell open, watching his erection become coated in blood as Wolf pumped him, slowly at first, and then rougher. Onyx grunted, smiling at me, with blood dripping from his pale chin. God, it was evil and so fucking sexy. 
Oh, fuck, I breathed. I'm going to come. Ames moved then to the side, allowing the guy's full view of my pussy as he continued thrusting his fingers in and out. Onyx groaned, mouth opening as he eyed my clenching cunt, still full of Ames' fingers, still riding out my orgasm. His release shot out, dredging Wolf's red knuckles in milky white. Wolfgang let go, bringing his hand to his lips and sucking his fingers, meeting my delirious gaze. Delicious, he whispered. His eyes were wild and yellow as his long hair swayed free. Fuck. Each one was like my own personal sex monster. Ghost pulls Blythe down onto him and she looks over to see Wolf face fucking Onyx while staring at them. When I looked over, Onyx was on his knees, taking Wolf in his mouth, both of their gazes fixed to Ames in me. I lined my dripping center over his throbbing, ridged cock. That's it, little ghost. You're such a good girl. My little demon slut, aren't you? I took in every agonizing ridge of Ghost's huge demon cock. The stretch was bittersweet and wretched. I couldn't fit all of him, but I damn well tried. I locked eyes with my arch demon as he squeezed his sharp claws into my ass, watching my stretched pussy struggle to accommodate him. I gave it my best try, pushing myself farther down than I thought possible. Get it, girl. Wolfgang finished in Onyx's mouth. The vampire drank the blood and pleasure like his own personal drug, his emerald gaze glowing. At the same moment, I felt the warmth of Ghost's release shooting inside me, black ink slithering down my inner thighs, shading me the same colors as my ripped fishnets. He sat up, still holding me, filling me, and took my lips in his. I kissed my archdemon, tracing the outline of his long, forked tongue with my little human mouth. Onyx stood, wiping his lips with the back of his hand, while Wolf pulled up his jeans. Oh my goodness! We switched to Ghost POV. He was too busy paying attention to what they all just did to notice that Vincent, the vampire coven leader, had walked into the church. He came to warn them that another of their kind has found their way into town. Ghost tells him that's impossible because of the wards, the witch's place, but Vincent just shrugs and says he's only warning them because the vampires are very intrigued by Blythe and he invites her to ditch the Halloween boys and hang with the vampires instead. This sets Ghost off and he grabs Vincent by the throat and tells him not to even think about it. Vincent says maybe when ghost calms down they'll consider inviting him to their next little church session and with a flash he's gone ghost brings Blythe to bed and promises to protect her always as he snuggles into her the next night it's halloween and the guys are dressed in their 1800s finery raven and Blythe are going to meet them at the bar to start the night off and the woods have been combed without a single demon found they can let loose tonight and worry about whatever is after Blythe tomorrow when the wards let up We switch to Blythe's POV. Her and Yesenia are getting ready and Blythe is wearing a beautiful black gown and bright red lipstick. Yesenia tells her that some of the lost souls are going to be stopping by the shop to say hello. They think it's Halloween 1820-something, so don't say anything to upset them. A couple of women walk in and Blythe feels a chill down to her bones, but the women are solid and don't seem like spirits or apparitions. They're even able to pick up some of the items in the shop. Blythe can't place it, but something feels familiar about them, and she's thrown into a vision of the guys at the festival waiting for her and Vincent and Esmeralda talking worriedly about how something feels wrong. Vincent starts telling Esmeralda about how everyone's infatuation with Blythe doesn't make any sense. Everyone is drawn to her without understanding why. Esmeralda repeats that something feels wrong when the laughter of a little girl cuts through her awareness and she's snapped back to reality. The two spirit women suddenly say that they recognize her and keep repeating that she's the 
the one that can save them. She's the one they've been waiting for. Blythe rushes out of the shop and bumps into Raven, who asks if she's okay. And she starts to explain what happened when she looks up to see all of the ghosts at the festival staring at her, and they all start begging her to save them. (gasps) Raven wraps her up in his wings and, like, teleports. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, he can just teleport. Yeah, okay. So he teleports her away, and she asks him what just happened, but he has no idea. She looks around and realizes he brought her to the bar that she's meeting the guys at. It's packed, and when she looks up on stage, she sees the Halloween boys. Apparently, they're in a band, and they're doing a surprise performance dedicated to Blythe. And they rock. Yeah. Hell yeah. We switch to Ghost POV. As they're playing their set, a red light flashes, and Ghost knows that it's Judas. Judas says... It's here, the one I've been searching for. Chaos ensues and everyone in the venue jumps to try and shield Blythe from whatever is happening and Ames looks down to see a poison blade sticking out of his chest. (gasps) We switch to Blythe's POV. She's taken by a creature with red eyes, rectangle irises, and hooves. It's a goat creature and it's a woman. She says that nobody pays attention to the gas stations in town and they never even notice that they're being used as portals. The woman laughs, and it's the same laugh from Blythe's vision earlier. The creature starts to tell her that the demons were chasing her by using her fear scent. They inhabited her stepdad because that's what she feared the most, but when she started fucking the archdemon, she basically became untraceable. Blythe looks over to see Raven limp and unmoving on the ground. No. I know. I said it's like wings are broken and stuff. Yeah. No, Raven. The goat thing starts talking about how when she was a human, she was the talk of the town, the most beautiful girl, and everyone wanted a piece of her. When she brings Blythe to her master, she'll get to be beautiful again. She forces some bubbling liquid down Blythe's throat and stabs a spear into her shoulder. We switch to Ghost POV. He's crawling through the dirt and knows that it was a Baphomet who took Blythe. So that's what the creature is, a Baphomet, which is like a goat demon. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Onyx and Judas have run off to try and track Blythe down, and Wolf brings Ames to Marceline to try and save his life from the poison coursing through his body. Onyx and Wolf appear and reach down for him, and he suddenly gets a vision of Blythe and the Baphomet at the gas station, and Blythe hanging from chains unconscious. Judas appears and tells him that the Baphomet is a reaper, apparently stronger than a thousand legions of demons. Onyx and Wolf tell Ghost that Blythe is their claimed and they're going to find her. Polyamorous claiming groups aren't impossible and they all saw the same vision he did when they touched, so it means that she belongs to all of them. Marceline tells them that Ghost is healed enough to go after Blythe and their claiming bond is the strongest magic there is, so they stand a chance. So they set off into the darkness to find her. We switch to Blythe's POV. She's unconscious and having a vision of speaking to a version of herself sitting on a throne with horns, a scythe, and a raven atop of it. The other Blythe reveals that Blythe herself is death. She is the one that everyone has been looking for. That's why nobody could sense her. There was nobody ever chasing her. It was all Blythe the entire time. What? Yeah. She wakes up to find all of the guys bursting into the gas station. After her epiphany, she moves against the chains and they simply turn into mist and disappear. The Baphomet starts freaking out about what her master is going to do with her now that she's failed in bringing Blythe to him. She begs Blythe to kill her since Blythe is the only one who is capable of doing so. And when Blythe reaches out to touch the Baphomet, she sees who the Baphomet was before. She was Ellie Mae, Mr. Moore's daughter. 
Blythe tells her that her father misses her a great deal, and the creature starts wailing, saying she doesn't know what Blythe is talking about. And Blythe reaches out instinctively and touches the creature's horn, and it immediately falls dead to the floor. A girl with blonde hair tied up in blue ribbon stands up, and Blythe takes her hand, and they appear on a street in front of Mr. Moore's house. She sees her father, who rushes to embrace her, and he tells her they can go see her mama now, they can go home, and then they fade away. Oh, that's so sad. Ghost takes her back to the cemetery and they meet up with Wolf and Onyx. The town ghosts are waiting for her and she releases them all from purgatory, finally letting them rest in peace. Wolf brings out Raven's dead body and tells her that when an animal is loved very much, they don't really die. His spirit is still nearby and he believes that she can bring him back. She holds Raven's body and thinks of all their fondest memories and his wing twitches in her hand. He hops onto her shoulder and she nuzzles her head into his wing. She saved Aww. him. Her little crow. The end. <gasps> That's the end? Oh my goodness. So twisty. So turny. She's death itself. She is death. Holy shit. I did not see that coming. No. I did not. Uh-uh. So Riley, how many red pepper emojis do you give this one? Red peppers? I think I would give it like three. But I would give it like four stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. It was good. It was a lot of like heavy, lot crazy of plot. stuff. Yeah, heavy on plot. And do you think the Halloween boys are sexy? I do. Do you guys? Yeah, yeah, I could get into it. The only yeah. one that I'm like, I don't know is Judas because you don't get a description or anything yeah. about Judas. So I'm like, his book is the last one. There was a little prologue at the end where um, he appears and has a little conversation with Blythe where he's like, I'll claim you when I'm good and ready. Yeah, it, that part was uh, sketchy. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I do. I trust him with my no. life. You trust Judas? Do yeah. you? I think there's something else going on with him. I trust him. Oh, okay. All right. Um, would you trust Trade places with Blythe? No. I think I would. You think so? I live in Ashgrove. Yeah, me too. Ashgrove sounds nice. I mean, maybe. It just sounds like she has a lot going on. A lot. A lot of moving parts. A lot of things unknown. I just... mm. That's true. I think the only thing I would trade is Ashgrove. I want to be there. I want to be there too. I know. It sounds cute. Sounds like a cute little town. All right. So next week, we're going to be telling Riley about... Eyes on Me by Sarah Kate, and it is the second book in the Salacious Players Club series. So we're going to have her look at the cover and give us her best guess on what it might be about. I can't wait to go back to the Salacious Players Club. I know. (laughs) So, I mean, her covers aren't that telling. Just looks like another hot guy in a suit, another salacious player it just i feel like we're gonna be exploring maybe another player in the book okay yeah it's gonna be saucy saucy all right well if you liked this episode make sure you rate review and subscribe follow us on instagram and facebook at smut up and listen podcast and on tiktok at smut up and listen tell your friends but not your mom and we'll see you later you horny little rats